Our scripture reading is right from the end of the Bible in uh, Revelation chapter 21, and that's on page 1,249 of the Church Bibles. Revelation 21, going into the first five verses of the next chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high 
as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. That's so good just to listen to, isn't it? A wonderful vision. Praise God for it. The Maldives are a collection of around a thousand islands in the Indian Ocean. Um, some of you will know this better than others, uh, having just been there. Um, and it's, it's actually warmer here than it is there at the moment. Um, and they're described as heaven on earth. Tourists speak of being utterly stunned by seeing so many different shades of blue. They speak of um, perfectly white sand and coral, coral reefs just full of vibrant colour. And yet, the fight is on to preserve the Maldives. I think we've got a photo if we click on a little bit. Um, they are facing a triple threat, rising sea levels, 
coastal erosion and uh, unpredictable weather patterns. And without intervention, heaven on earth will, uh, will no longer exist. Uh, we're told that by 2050, 80% of those islands will become uninhabitable, largely. And it really would be sad to be um, looking at a photo like that uh, with our children or grandchildren in 2050 and saying this is what the world used to look like, this sort of place used to exist. That would be really sad to be in that position. And so the fight is on, and rightly so. Um, we heard last week that as God's children, we do have a responsibility to this physical earth. We heard that we are gardeners of Eden. We heard that we are renters in the land. We heard that uh, we are heirs of the whole earth. Uh, So this sort of preservation does matter. And yet, let's be clear what we're fighting for. Um, The Maldives, along with other places of natural beauty, any any number of which you could name, they're not actually heaven on earth. Environmentalists might say so, and yet the reality is they fall far short. So uh, in the Maldives, away from resorts, certainly, gang violence and knife crime are an issue there, just like they are in London. Um, The economy, it's vulnerable due to an over-reliance on tourism, and uh, it's illegal to import Bibles. I'm told by someone that's been there recently that the capital city, the very center of it, is a massive mosque, which has a capacity of 5,000. Does this sound like heaven on earth to you? The Bible's description of what heaven on earth is like far exceeds the Maldives and anything else that we might mention. Uh, In Revelation 21 to 22, we see what that is really like. And uh, this is the final question in our series on the environment. What is new creation like? I do want to be clear. Um, I'm asking the question, what, is, what will the new creation be like? I'm not uh, answering the question, what will heaven be like? Uh, we kind of often use those terms, heaven, new creation, interchangeably. But when we speak of heaven, we're speaking of the, the spiritual realm in which God is particularly, specially present now. When we speak of heaven, we're talking about the place where Jesus is enthroned now, and we're talking about the place where believers who have died have gone to be with Jesus now. That's heaven. When we talk about the new creation, we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth that will be one day where God makes all things new. And that's what we're talking about this evening. What will the new creation be like? Um, we might just find that our definition of heaven, earth, heaven and earth changes And we might just find that fighting to create or preserve heaven on earth might change as a result of seeing the final picture. What is it like? You can see the two points there. First, it's a return to Eden. And second, it's more than Eden. Let's click on and go to our first point. The new creation will be a return to Eden. And I've put a bit of art there which... um, tries to capture something of what Revelation 21 and 22 are about. Um, As with all bits of art that are trying to reflect something in the Bible, they fall short. Uh, But I think the the artist was particularly focusing on Revelation 22 there, because you see the tree of life and the river uh, with the water of life in it. But I think it grasps something of what we see. 
We don't know that much about the Garden of Eden from Genesis, but we do know that in Genesis 1 to 3, uh, there was a tree of life there, and out of Eden flowed rivers. And so when we see in these two chapters, uh, we see the water of life in uh, Revelation 21 verse 6, the spring of the water of life there. Uh, And then in chapter 22, again, we see the river of the water of life in verse 1, and we see the tree of life, and uh, the, uh, the river of life flows through the middle of it. So when John would have seen this, he would have thought, ah, right, I'm back in Eden. This is the Garden of Eden. These are the details that I remember from Genesis, and this is where we are now. Um, he's returned to paradise. And there are several other parallels too. So the new creation is going to be a return to Eden because there will be, oh, I missed a point, uh, it will be a physical place. So uh, John doesn't just see a new heaven. He doesn't just see a spiritual reality. He doesn't just see a spiritual congregation of worshippers. He sees in verse 1 a new heaven and a new earth. And last week we were talking about this, weren't we? Uh, this earth uh, will, be, will, will be wiped clean. It will experience a kind of death. It will pass away. And yet this very same earth will experience a resurrection, just like Christ's, just like ours. It will be made new. Uh, this earth um, will go on. It will be a physical place. Um, God doesn't just care about spiritual realities. We might get that idea sometimes, but his plan has always been for his people to exist in bodies in a physical world. Um, Eden, just like Eden, the new creation will be a physical place. Um, That feeling you get when you see a picture of the Maldives or somewhere else unimaginably beautiful in this world, heaven's going to be like that. Uh, The new creation, the new earth is going to be like that. We're going to see a real, physical, beautiful reality. And just like Eden, there will be no curse. We remember in Genesis 3 how as a result of human sin, a a curse fell on humanity and on the physical world. Um, There was banishment where Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And yet here in Revelation 21 and 22, we find humanity welcomed back in to the place where the tree of life and the water of life are. Um, it's, it's stated explicitly in Revelation 22, verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. All those bad effects that worked out from Genesis 3 onwards throughout human history, no more. Um, we can see that uh, in the chapters more gener- these chapters more generally every tear wiped away, no more pain, no more crying, no more uh, death. It's all gone. Uh, we can see that the, the leaves and the fruits of the tree of life are going to be used for the healing of the nations. All the kind of conflicts that we experience in this world today on a national level, no more. They're going to be healed, made new. And as well, because there's no curse, there's going to be no curse on the physical earth either. So no more wildfires, no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more famines, no more droughts. All of those things gone forever. Just like Eden before the fall, there will be no curse. 
And the third thing uh, that makes this a return to Eden, just like Eden, there will be no evil. In verse 1 of 21, we have the, the rather puzzling phrase, and there was no longer any sea. Now, some of you, myself included, a little bit disappointed by that verse. We think, oh, actually, I quite enjoy um, going for a dip in the sea. I quite enjoy paddleboarding or surfing or any of those things. Is that not going to be a part of the new creation? Um, no, that's not what uh, this verse means. By saying there's going to be no more sea, it's referring symbolically to evil. Um, the sea, particularly in Revelation, was, is the place where evil comes from. Um, if you think about uh, historically Old Testament Israel being a coastal nation, it makes sense to kind of have that connection with or the sea. That's where our enemies come from. And in Revelation, that continues. The, the, uh, some of the beasts come out of the sea. And yet, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will no longer be any sea in that there will no longer be this place where evil comes from. I still think paddleboarding might be an option. Um, and there will be no evil, we see in verse 8 as well. Um, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Anyone that would do damage or harm to God's people or God's earth will not have a place in this new creation. This new creation will be safe from all of these dangers. The only people in the new creation will be those who are uh, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The only people in the new creation will be those indwelt by the Holy Spirit, taught how to obey and live in God's world. The only people will be those in verse 27 of chapter 21. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just like Eden, new creation will be a physical place, there will be no curse, and there will be no evil. A return to Eden really does sound magical, doesn't it? There's something... Um, so alluring about Eden's beauty and innocence. Uh, it's kind of like seeing a field of freshly fallen snow with no human footprints on it, completely unspoiled, or standing in a forest with no sight or sound of any human intervention, just the sound of dripping dew and distant birds. A return to Eden is a return to paradise. And yet... The new creation is going to be more than that. Let's click on one more slide. Because second point, while the new creation will be a return to Eden, it will be more than Eden. Eden was very good. It was. Um, there was nothing wrong with God's original creation. But it wasn't ever meant to be the end of the story. Eden wasn't perfect. It was perfect in that there was nothing wrong with it. It was the perfect starting point. It was sort of perfect in its potential, but it was never the end of the story. So, um, for example, 
uh, Adam and Eve, they were only two people, and they still had a family and a whole world of population to make. Uh, the, the garden was only part of the earth, and it needed its boundaries to be extended and extended over the entire place. Adam and Eve, also, they were vulnerable to temptation in the Garden of Eden, and they still had to prove their obedience. The new creation is everything God intended that the Garden of Eden would turn into, would become in the end. Uh, so, firstly, why is, um, why is the new creation more than Eden? It will be more than Eden because it will be God's dwelling place. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You could say on the one hand that the Garden of Eden was God's dwelling place. Um, and yes, you would be right. Uh, yes, Adam and Eve did experience God's presence in the Garden of Eden. Um, Genesis chapter three speaks of God walking um, in the cool of the day, and presumably Eden was a place where Adam and Eve would enjoy such walks with God. And yet, this sort of dwelling is something that Adam and Eve never could have possibly imagined. Here, God dwells with his people in a marriage-type relationship. Adam and Eve could never have claimed that we will live with God in a way that they couldn't have imagined. We will live with God as forgiven, redeemed, saved people, justified, sanctified, glorified. That is only ours for those who are trusting in Jesus. Adam and Eve didn't have that. And God will dwell with us as our savior and as our redeemer. Adam and Eve didn't know what that was like at all. Yes, they knew God in their own way, but they didn't know the lamb. They didn't know God revealed through the person of his son as the lamb. Um, cast your eyes over what we've just read. How many times is the word lamb mentioned? I'll give you 30 seconds. This will also stop you from falling asleep. Do we know? How many times? Not sure. Six times. Six times. The lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God come in the flesh to die as a sacrifice for our sin, to wash us clean so that we might be saved. Adam and Eve didn't have that, and yet we get to live with God. We get to live with Christ, our Lamb of God. And to live in the presence of God is heaven itself. 
John sees, um, he goes up on a, he's taken up on a really tall mountain and he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God. And it, it's, it's a rather odd thing to see. Um, it's a perfect cube and it's vast, utterly vast. Um, each side of the cube is 1,400 miles wide. So this is a really vast cube. And, um, and there's no temple there, which is a little bit of an odd thing. But do you know what else is a cube in the Bible? The Holy of Holies. In the very center of the temple, there is this um, cube uh, of um, yeah, God's presence. And so when John sees this cube of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, it's a reminder of, wow, this place, all of it is God's presence. God is filling the whole thing. And God's throne is there, chapter 22, uh, verses 3 and 5. No longer will there be any curse. We've already read that. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of, su- of, of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will live in the shining glory of the presence of God. And the, um, the wow moment of first experiencing that is going to be incomparably incredible. Um, whatever wow moments you've experienced in your life, whether it's uh, gazing up at the stars or looking at the Grand Canyon, just wow, like that's, that's an astonishing moment. That's a moment of pure joy. And yet living in God's presence, seeing the brightness of his shining glory, seeing Jesus' face, looking him in the eye, wow, that's going to be utterly incredible. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's going to be the most overwhelmingly amazing thing about the new creation, the presence of God with us, his people. And secondly, the new creation is going to be more than Eden because the new creation is a garden city. I wonder if you noticed that. Uh, It's, yes, a return to Eden, but there's also uh, more than just trees and plants and grass and fields. On the one hand, when John sees the holy city coming down out of heaven, it's a vision of the people of God rather than the place where they live. But there's a a sense in which the two meanings overlapped. Uh, He's seeing the people of God represented as a city, but he's also seeing the place in some senses as well, where they're going to dwell. Um, And, you know, if if there wasn't something significant in the fact that it's a city, why didn't he see a vision of a great garden coming down out of heaven? No, it's, it's a city, and that's deliberate. Um, what's significant about the city, this garden city? Well, there's going to be lots of people in the new creation. In the Garden of Eden, there were only two. Um, but in the new creation, there's going to be lots and lots and lots. I mean, certainly so, if it's going to be a th- 1,400 miles Uh, in every single dimension. This is a big city full of people. Uh, And there's going to be people not just from one nation, but from every nation 
in this city. Again, that's something, that's a diversity that uh, Adam and Eve couldn't possibly experience. It's also going to be a city of extraordinary wealth. I think sometimes we really don't want to fall into the prosperity gospel. And so we completely throw away anything in the Old Testament that talks about, um, about the wealth uh, that comes to God's people. And yet I think that's a mistake. Um, we don't experience wealth as, uh, for the sake of being Christians uh, in the here and now. And yet ahead of us, there really is extraordinary abundance that God has prepared for us. So look at the description of the city. Look at all the different precious jewels that is described there. Uh, the crystal, the glass, the, the streets uh, made of gold in verse 21. Um, gold as pure as transparent glass. This is a place of really extraordinary wealth and abundance. And the other thing about a city as opposed to a garden is that it's a place of human culture. There are things that humans have made there. It's not a purely natural place in the same way that a garden is. So there are gates, there are walls, there are uh, streets, and who knows what other human cultural artifacts will be there in heaven. Technology, I don't know. The new creation will be more than Eden because it's a garden city. And thirdly, it will be more than Eden because the new creation is forever. Um, don't some people ask you the question, uh, what will happen in, uh, in the age to come? What if there's another fall? What if the snake gets back in? What if we make the same mistake that Adam and Eve did? Will we just be back to square one? No. Chapter 21, verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does, not, uh, does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No snake is going to get into this city. No snake, no temptation will ever get there. And verse 5 of chapter 22, the very last phrase, and they will reign forever and ever. The new creation is no temporary Garden of Eden. It is no perfect in potential. There is no kind of progress that needs to be made here. This is the, the finished article, what God had planned all along. It really is marvelous to think of the security of this city. Again, one of the, um, one of the dimensions of this city that just blows my mind is the thickness of the walls, um, or the height of them, depending on which interpretation you prefer. Uh, in verse 17, the angel measured the wall using human measurements. It was 144 cubits thick. And whether you think that's symbolic or not, it still speaks of a security, a 65-meter wall. Like, that's a pretty thick wall. You are secure. You are safe in the new creation. Uh, we are never going to fall like Adam and Eve did. So, uh, why is the new creation more than Eden? Uh, because it's God's dwelling place. Because it's a garden city. And because it's forever. I really do think it's marvelous that 
God in his sovereignty has prepared something for us that is even better than where we started. Like if it wasn't for Adam and Eve's sin, um, we wouldn't have this great uh, future to look forward to, dwelling with a saviour. That really is wonderful. And I think in conclusion, this affects us in the here and now. And we are doing a series on the environment, so I'm particularly applying it to that. This affects how we fight for heaven on earth. When we see what the the finished product is going to be, it it affects, it changes how we fight for heaven on earth now. Um, Environmentalists fight for heaven on earth by trying to preserve the Maldives, by scrubbing coral and uh, clearing up beaches and doing all those things. And that is good, but it's a small part of what it is to fight for heaven on earth in the here and now. Um, our job is, is not to create wildernesses untouched by uh, human hands. Um, there really are limits to how much rewilding we should be doing as God's people, because that's not the finished article that we're heading towards. We're not heading back to a garden. We're heading back to a garden city. Um, yes, we do, to a certain extent, fight for heaven on earth by gardening this earth well, by stewarding God's creation. But there's so much more to it than that. If the final product is a massive city of people, well, we fight for heaven on earth by getting people together. Uh, If the finished article is people enjoying the presence of God, then we, we get people together to enjoy the presence of God. That is what it is to fight for heaven on earth. To fight for heaven on earth means, yes, we might care for this planet and we should do that. But even more than that, we'll do things like support Wasim's ministry. We'll see the the horrendous need of the brick kiln workers um, surviving off five pounds a day and being in terrible, terrible debt. And we will reach out in love and try to support people in such situations. Um, If we're fighting for heaven on earth, then we're going to see Wasim's media ministry to half a million people on YouTube. And we're going to think, wow, that's fantastic. What a way to get people to hear the gospel so that they might be part of the new creation. That's going to be fighting for heaven on earth. And uh, to use an example from the notices this morning, we might fight for heaven on earth by uh, coming to the church picnic in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, We're going to have a worship service uh, as usual here in the morning, and that's going to be like heaven because we're going to be worshiping God. And then we're going to go outside and eat together, and that's going to be like heaven because we're enjoying the physical world, we're enjoying fellowship together, and we're declaring God's glory to our community as well. This series has been an interesting one, thinking about the environment. And I do think it matters, but I think we need to have a bigger vision a bigger vision of what our mission is in this world. And it really is a privilege to know that at the end of it is this wonderful, glorious future. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have prepared a a physical place for us to dwell as your people. Thank you that in that day, all evil will be gone. 
Thank you that in that day we will dwell in your presence. Thank you that we will celebrate the story of the Lamb. Thank you for our Saviour. Thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Please help us to build heaven on earth in the here and now. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of what you have provided for us. And we pray as well that you would enable us in our mission. Help us to glorify you and share the good news of Jesus and celebrate you with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we look, look forward so much to when we will be able to do that in perfection and security forever. In Jesus' name, amen.